everyone, and welcome to another very exciting Civilizations in Review. Uh, I'm here with Elaine Haddix, one of our fabulous content writers, and with me as, as usual, uh, Ana Campusano, uh, extraordinaire content writer and co-moderator. So thank you all for being here. Um, we'll jump into the Karmatian Empire very shortly, um, learning about this very interesting civilization. I'm excited to hear more about it from you, Elaine. But firstly, thank you for joining us here live on Facebook. We will also be cross-posting this to our website, our Instagram, our YouTube, um, and our Spotify. So you can engage with this article and the discoveries we will uh, find out very soon um, for these next 30 minutes. Uh, but the best place to go is honestly on our website. That's where all of the main hyperlinks are, the full article that um, Elaine wrote, and more details about this very interesting um, civilization. With that said, thank you all for being here. I will throw it to Anna to read the 101 word introduction. Thanks, Ben, and welcome, Elaine. Uh, so the Karmatian, uh, from 9th to the 11th century, a Shia denomination known as the Karmatian civilization prospered in areas known today as Iraq, Yemen, and Bahrain. The civilization was named after Hamdan Khamat, their leader in the late 9th century. The Karmatian civilization is known for its excellent social management and egalitarian society, which attracted those considered low-class members of society, such as farmers and craftsmen. The Karmatian Empire is also remembered for the abduction of the sacred black stone, which they kept for 23 years. The Karmatians played a major role in history throughout the development of their profound vision for a social utopia. Now, I don't know what attracts me more right now, their egalitarian ways or the fact that they had the black stone for 23 years. So I think I'm going to go in order um, of how you have it. So tell me a bit about like, uh, I guess, the ruling ways and, and how they dealt with the people since they had the, such a, you know, egalitarian type society ideals. Yes. So it's it was very fascinating to learn about um, this aspect of the civilization. And so they were an egalitarian uh, society. They had a lot of beliefs that really prioritized the people. And a lot of this took inspiration from Greek philosophy, um, which claimed that happiness was one of the most um, important things for a human being and that um, humans should be treated equally. And some of these, um, some of the ways that these beliefs were put into their laws were through not having the um, citizens pay taxes. Um, there were no interest on loans. Anyone could take out a loan. Um, uh, however, it was unclear uh, because something with researching this civilization was that there wasn't the most information out there on it. Um, and so there were some missing pieces of it. It wasn't clear if this applied to slaves as well because uh, their economy was very based on slave labor. And um, but for the most part, a lot of poor people, a lot of craftsmen, different people like that, um, different groups of people were very attracted to um, this society and this civilization because of its egalitarian beliefs and values, which helped others thrive. What I find most interesting about this, we'll get to the Kaaba shortly. That's a huge conversation topic and yeah, probably yeah. why they're most uh, well known for pretty negative reason um, in Islamic <laughs> history. But before we get to that point, um, this ruling structure, I think is the only one in all 93 of our empires that have a communist egalitarian emphasis. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any other uh, empires, as far as I know, that have that uh, ruling structure. Uh, fascinating that they have slaves as well as a communist egalitarian model, which we can jump into a little bit here from your research. But specifically in your key accomplishments section, 
um, you call them the blueprint for an enduring communist society and really the first one to last yeah. for more than 100 years. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what you learned in that research? Uh, this is such a unique um, structure, ruling system, governmentally, et cetera, that really doesn't exist, as far as I know, in these ancient empires, kingdoms, caliphates. So please tell me a bit more of what you learned. That's something also that I noticed was very unique about um, their society. And um, something that I thought was interesting was that they started off as um, this great communist society, but in certain areas, they became more like a republic later on. So they ended up having, for example, in, in Bahrain, they had um, a chief leader and then seven council members that would decide on laws at one point, but that was towards the end. But at first they were this very strong communist society with this vision for utopia, um, with these egalitarian society, uh, with, this, uh, with these egalitarian beliefs. And um, it was very unique at the time, definitely, because this wasn't seen, as you said, in a lot of the civilizations. I also thought it was very fascinating how they had slaves and had an egalitarian society, because um, there were a lot of, there were over 30,000 Ethiopians who were enslaved. Um, and something that the research was unclear on, as I said before, was that it didn't say whether or not these values applied to the slaves as well. So. I think that that would have been something interesting to find out too. Um, but they were very concerned about community um, and the welfare of the citizens in this region. And that's something that stood out. And a lot of their, because they were such a strong communist society, I described it as being a blueprint because for other communist societies, you know, this was kind of the goal to, to uphold something for a long period of time. That's very interesting. Actually, I, I wonder how that worked. Like, that's an interesting take. You have 30,000 slaves, but at the same time, you're you're very, like, you find it very important to um, uphold the rights of people and kind of live in the social or attempt to live in the social utopia uh, sort of vision. So I wondered, uh, I also wondered, um, you know, like, how, how was it that the treatment uh, were for these people and, and why did it uh, you know, come into their power at the in the first place. But in your economic section, it looks like they were actually there for to be more like workers or like part of the production process. Because I would assume, like, or I could ask you, I guess, like, how did they sort of make their money then if they didn't, you know, get taxes from the people? Like, how did they build up the kind of like the economic side of their, um, I guess, presence in this area? <laughs> Uh, well, something that's worth noting is that um, something that I did research on was that the land that they occupied was very wealthy land, and it was very unclear. Again, um, there was kind of not a lot of specific information on things. Something I noticed was that there was a lot of very gen general information, but as for specifics, uh, a lot of the articles I went into that were trustworthy um, incredible, did not really go into detail um, on those sorts of things. However, something that uh, I did see or research was that uh, it was very wealthy land that they were on. Um, and also they were in control of the Persian Gulf at one point. So they were very powerful. That just goes to show how much power they had. And they, they didn't have these taxes and they relied on the slaves for agriculture. They had a lot of fruits and grains that their um, civilization was dependent on. And that's how they made a lot of their income. 
And so there isn't really a clear answer to that question, um, but that information might help clarify how they might have, um, you know, ruled their society and, and kept it going without taxes. Well, and also the Persian Gulf area in general has always a, been a pretty rich uh, resource-based area for most of the empires that have touched that area. I mean, I know that the Karmatians re rebelled pretty violently against yeah. the Abbasids that sort of began their community, which then led to the communist egalitarian values. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe or maybe not they trade. I mean, they undoubtedly traded, right? They lasted for over a hundred years. They had to have, yep. um, but their maybe finances wasn't the biggest thing they focused on in this community mm -hmm. in some way. Interesting. Or maybe honestly, slaves was their currency potentially. Yep. Who knows? That That's what we're seeing. I just think it's interesting that they um, kind of hypocritically call themselves communist <laughs> egalitarian and yet have active slaves um and are a pretty militant violent community even before we get to the stealing of the Kaaba um that's just a there's a lot of contradictions with this with this uh civilization that is probably yeah. difficult to to find one true answer in your research <laughs> could you talk a little bit about that process since there are so many um different aspects oh. of the community yeah so it was it was a bit difficult to find credible sources um on the civilization. Uh, I looked through like Google Scholar and one one article that really, really helped me was this uh, research paper. And it was this big, long research paper and it was just perfect because it had a lot, a lot more specific information than a lot of the other sources I found had. Um, one of my one of the challenges was just finding specific information because a lot of it talked generally, you know, like describing them as an egalitarian society, but then not going into how or what laws demonstrated this or exemplified these beliefs. So I had to do a lot of really deep research on that. Another thing is, um, as for their allies and um, enemies, it was hard to find that just laid out. What I had to do was um, research and then based on different wars, I, I had to kind of assume you know that these were their enemies because they're or at least for that period of time they had some conflict with them because you know they went into war and usually you don't go into war with um your allies you know so it was kind of one of those things um but overall there there was good information that i found but just not a lot of specifics because one of these uh one of the articles that i did find described um this civilization as kind of forgotten about in a sense. Um, so some of the things they did like stealing the the black stone, um, of course that was not forgotten, but the civilization itself and who they were, their culture, different th different things they contributed to um, the, the Middle East now, a lot of those things are forgotten and they're not really talked about a lot. And I can see that, I can see why. I can see kind of like the the difference uh, that that sort of influence that they might have wanted to create of this communist society or social utopia might not be very attractive for other rulers uh, in the area just in general uh, and understanding how the ruling happened in this whole uh, you know area of the world definitely is not an example that it looked to be kind of remembered and and I thought about it when I was looking into your modern influence section because I was thinking you know how did they influence any type of other um, egalitarian societies in the in the areas and and what exactly were their uh, you mentioned very briefly culture like what exactly were their cultural sort of influence uh, in these uh, sort of like um, 
I don't know, it looks like it was kind of like a, a big stretch, you know, going from Iraq, Yemen and Bahrain. It, it's kind of like a, it still had some type of political influence, I guess, or culture in some, in some ways. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of this section that I wrote about was just based on um, different things that we've kind of already mentioned a little bit, because again, in researching them, it didn't really talk a lot about their culture um about their their beliefs necessarily the the only thing that i can really say about um their beliefs is uh that they did not accept uh ubaid Allah as their ruler and that's what caused the split in the first place mm -hmm. and caused them to become their own um separate kind of denomination of this and so um something that they've contributed is just their their beliefs and this has gone you know there are certain groups of people that still carry some of these beliefs or have these uh this influence in their beliefs there are even certain groups that unfortunately use um violence and um they or they carry out these beliefs in violent manners um uh, unfortunately or they you know misinterpret some parts of what the carmations really stood for but unfortunately there are some um groups that do this but um so i feel like their their beliefs have definitely been something that have carried on and are still seen in um this our modern world and again their their communist society and how that serves as um, an example for other communist societies that want to last for a long time um and that's mainly where i've seen their influence yeah well, you did say that it was a the long and long-standing, one of the earliest long-standing communist societies. So that that's definitely a modern influence in there. A yeah. very important one of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, to give, to give Islamic scholars some credit, they desecrated the, the Black Stone, the Kaaba. So that, that's probably why the majority that, of scholars now are very negative to this community. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, granted, they broke away from the Abbasids where a militant group began enslaving, but also communist egalitarian but then stole the Black Stone. So um, as far as I know, and, and please definitely tell me more, but as far as I know, the Black Stone is, is what is in Mecca. It is the center. It is, it is the holiest place in Islam. Um, and the Karmatians on their Hajj uh, stole this stone um, to bring it back to um, their area, I think in Bahrain. So that would be the new place for the Hajj. That was the, the reason for that stealing. Um, after 23 years, it was finally returned um, with, several irreparable damage to that yeah so, um that's like the rough story that i know but i'm curious in your research uh you know why did they do this uh you know more details you have about uh this hey i give up tell us why yeah. <laughs> yeah. so this is something that they were you know notorious for this is something that um again this is also and you know why they're not really um when people think of this group of people they don't really think of them very positively because of this and before uh, something i'd like to mention is that they were looked uh, they were admired by other civilizations and 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 groups of people because of um how great they were running as a society and how they were able to last for so long however when they stole the black stone this really tainted their image and um <laughs> and then it caused people to look down on them for a good reason this is um something that it's a relic that is very important in, in Muslim tradition. And so uh, they they attacked um, the area where it was at and they stole it and then they took it back to their capital. Um, 
And then once they had it in their capital, they held it for 23 years and they would not accept ransom for it at first. Um, people or the Abbasids would try to offer them money, but at first they were not accepting it, which is why they kept it for so long um, because people were trying to get it back. You know, this was something very, very important. And then finally, um, they did accept a ransom for a great deal of money. It did not specify how much specifically, but it was just said that a lot of money was offered. Um, and so finally they were able to return it. Uh, however, it was broken. And a there are a lot of different sources that say different numbers. Some say like seven, some say just a whole different number. So in my article, I did not specify how many pieces, um, but it was broken into many different pieces, which is just, it was very sad and unfortunate and just, the Muslim community was devastated by this, just completely devastated. And still are today. This happened yes. in the, the 900, year 930, I think, um, yeah. common era, um, you know, 300-ish years after Islam began and this relic stayed in Mecca. It, it's, it's a, I think rightfully so, pretty negative damnation of this community for them stealing yes. They are, they are, they were Muslim, they practice Islam, and uh, for whatever reason took it upon themselves to steal this relic. Um, there's a lot of more details about the Kaaba and the Black Stone, please um, look it up just in general, I think it's interesting yeah. for Islamic belief, and that is one of the many reasons that Mecca is the location, is because that's where the Black Stone, except for 23 years, has always been. Um, but yeah, I'm just, it's its something that I we definitely can't not talk about. And as potentially great as their egalitarian, uh, you know, society was built up for, uh, this this is for, will forever leave a, a pretty negative mark on this civilization. It's, it's, it's the only thing I knew about them before reading. So it's interesting to know that they have <laughs> other aspects to this empire. I honestly read them as a like a uh, militant group that stole the stone. That, that's the only thing I knew about them, which is not incorrect, but there's a lot more to this community. So I do appreciate you giving us yeah. more of this background. Um, I don't know, Anna, if you have a reaction uh, to this uh, story. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like understand what was the, like the purpose or, because, you know, they didn't accept rans ransom at first. It didn't necessarily seem like they went there maybe without intention. Maybe they went to the intention. They went... To Mecca, as we can understand, um, as pilgrims, so they want to do the the normal uh, annual uh, pilgrimage, and then maybe it was just kind of like a, an occurrence, like you know, let's let's just take the Kaaba, why not? Um, however, I'm thinking like you know, if their purpose was actually keeping it, because they weren't even trying to accept ransom, at some point it had to be something that was like, all right, it's it's hurting us more to have it. Uh, even if it meant for a holy purpose, then to return it, because now it's been, I don't know, 23 years, or even like, let's say at like 11, or uh, I don't know, 15 years, people were still like, hey, like, we're offering you, we're doing this, we're doing that. And as, as thinking that, like, you know, it was an empire or a civilization that failed, it failed to even be a dynasty or an empire, maybe they needed the money. Like, I don't understand exactly what their purpose of having it was rather than like, okay, stealing it, like, yeah, maybe you did something, but like, 
why have it for so long? Why why keep it? Like, what, what was they wanted to move the Hajj to Bahrain to their their capital, the city. capital of Hassan. We have the yeah. stones to come to us. It's seemingly the reason, but people still went to Mecca in those twenty three years. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, the the Kaaba is you know a much larger structure. The stone is part of the Kaaba. Um, right. The Kaaba was still there. Just they they physically stole the stone, which is no, and the, I. And the idea of going to Mecca for the pilgrimage is was still going to be and and yeah. it was still going to be there. You can't just like yeah. remove history. <laughs> so this is, I think, it's just such a weird, funny, but also like I want to know what they were thinking. Like, like why did you keep it for so long? Or like, not return it? Or what? Like, what was the purpose? And and then why did you decide to just kind of give it up for a bunch of money? Like, I don't know. It's a very interesting thought. That that is a question that I was um thinking about as well when doing the research and um again there's a there's a lot of or there isn't a lot of documentation on on why they did it um something that i just i read about was just you know they did this as an attack their intentions weren't very clear a lot of the articles i read just would go straight into it as um you know they they attacked this area uh or they attacked um the uh, mecca and to steal the black stone and a lot of the articles I read were not very clear on this. And I was wondering the exact same thing, you know, why why would they do this? Um, why would they keep it for so long when, um, they, I mean, they were well off and if they needed money, you know, they would have given it back in the, you know, at first, they had no mm -hmm. reason to really keep it for so long. So it is um, unclear uh, what their intentions were, but mm -hmm. this was something that really, affected and still does affect as you said ben the muslim community and it really was something devastating and, and it's unfortunate that there's not documentation on this because you know i would love to understand why they did this and what the purpose of it was yeah i mean it's not the first time the blackstone has been targeted for other people's wanting to destroy it um but this is the only time it's been stolen. Um, yes. Successfully. <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe there were other plots that didn't come to fruition. Who knows? But the, this, like, is, I can't, I like, us talking about it for the 15 minutes we have is not enough time to, no. to really give it the um, importance and devastation and intensity. Um, I, I mean, they, they are they are pretty well hated in, in yeah. Middle Eastern Islamic history. Um, so I mean it's it's interesting they have other aspects of this empire, but this is the only like subtext that will ever be associated with the Karmatians that they they stole and destroyed the uh, Blackstone for twenty three years. It, it's just like that th that is such a horrifying sentence in so many yeah. for so many reasons. Yeah. And, um, one of the reasons I wanted this empire on our website is to talk about this history. It's it's important to know that this is what happened. Um, yes that's why it's it's on the list but you know by no means uh approving or supporting or no 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 that this was a a horrendous act of religious desecration from <laughs> a muslim community seemingly and it's just it so many of the pieces don't make sense because mecca and the hajj is like as islamic pillar doesn't matter where the black stone was moved to it's still always mecca and that's still the hot like regardless of them taking the stone that doesn't change mecca's importance or for any reason, it's just there was no stone for 23 years for a lot of other stupid reasons. I don't know. It's just it's a very yeah. fascinating story that I appreciate your um, deference, Elaine, in writing about it, um, because this is a, a pretty horrifying act that happened 
you know, right at the beginning of, of Islam's growth um, by this community. So I, yes. I don't, I don't want to, you know, go any more negative. There's a couple other things that we can chat about about this empire, but that's really the 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 most well known, uh, worst known attribute of this empire is, is that they did this. Um, well, I, I think it's it, it's it's important to understand also that it's attributed just particularly to that civilization, and that kind of saves. Right. Uh, the idea behind it being such a horrendous thing to to have been done because it was done you know to Muslims by Muslims so it's kind of like another sort of like wing to it that you know we try to understand that maybe it was just those people not necessarily Muslim behavior or like like an Islamic ideal so I, I understand what you're saying it's not like in a negative way that we're talking about it but I think it is important to highlight that maybe that civilization did have kind of like, you know, other extreme ideals of like, you know, moving this 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 uh, stone to Bahrain or whatever the case may be, you know, as, alongside the fact that they had the the other ideals of having being egalitarian and and having, you know, a, a social, uh, like a equal society at the same time of having third, more than 30,000 slaves yeah. held captive. I mean, Obviously, if we if we look at all the angles of the Karmatians, we, we start to think about like, well, it, it kind of just belongs to that group of people. And we don't know what they were thinking and, and what their purposes were. But they did have very different and differing kind of like ideals and behaviors along the time that they were sort of uh, in, in rule, uh, which I think was for quite some time, 9th to 11th century. I mean, it was a few <laughs> hundred years. So, yeah, I mean... And- Seemingly, scholars have buried every other aspect of this empire and just talked about this incident, um, which I guess you can attest to much more so, Elaine, um, just for how uh, prolifically horrifying uh, stealing this relic was. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, like, from my knowledge, they like don't brand them as Muslims anymore, that, that they've uh, lost that opportunity and that title yeah. because of this, this act. Uh, I and I will say, like, for our listeners, all three of us are not of the Muslim faith tradition. So so please, um, if we have gotten something incorrect, p- please let us know. I, I don't say that for other empires, but this is a different yeah. aspect to this conversation that I, I want to be very um, cautious about talking with. However, given, like, the majority of, of Arabic articles I have read, as well, along with all the ones Elaine has, has brought, um, this is the, the very prevailing thought, is that they are... Um, I think heretics is the most common word that is used. That, uh, I was going to say um, that uh, different Shite or a lot of Shite groups and even uh, Sunni Muslim groups um, mm-hmm. call them heretics. And that was something I was uh, going to mention yeah. uh, is that they were called heretics by many different groups of Muslim people. And so I don't think that they're really, you know, seen as Muslims anymore. You know, their their ideologies, their ideals, everything has just strayed so far away from what it really is and so after everything they've done and um all the hurt that they've caused the muslim community i think it's it's hard to consider them you know part of that and of course i, I could i'm not muslim myself um so if i am incorrect i would like to be corrected as well but um that that's just something that i've noticed is just all the harm that they've caused the community and it's it's sad and and also as i said i think i said this earlier there are groups of terrorists now that also follow their beliefs and um, uh, claim themselves to be still part of the uh, part of kind of their beliefs and, and carry some of their same ideologies, but they have used this to commit acts of 
violence and and terrorism unfortunately so i don't yeah it's just it's hard to really associate them with the muslim community after all of this yeah we're not going to get into modern geopolitics because that's a whole nother conversation but potentially the roots came from the karmatians potentially not i I don't want to make those claims i I do know that this is documented very well that they did steal the black stone and (laughs) i think we've had an at length uh reaction um conversation to that so to wrap up, not on a positive note, but just to wrap up, are there any pieces of the Karmatian Empire that you want to add uh, as we as we conclude this conversation? I think we covered most of it. I think that to end this on a positive note, I'd just like to go back on how um, how their egalitarian beliefs were were based on Greek philosophy. I thought that that was something very fascinating to me, um, and something that you know kind of gave a different angle of their um, civilization. Uh, It's, you know, for a good reason, they are looked down upon. Um, However, before this, you know, they had good, good parts to their civilization, which helped them last for so long. And I think it's important to, you know, see both sides, but then of course not excuse the actions that they have committed. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't the first thing they did. They didn't found an empire and then steal the black stone. There was life of this empire beforehand. (laughs) However, yeah, exactly. Clouds and clados, clouds, shadows. There we go. The previous (laughs) and fairly so. I mean, I think that even thinking about an egalitarian society in this time was something out of anyone's minds, and and understanding even what that meant, or or accepting, you know, uh, people from low class members to actually have an opportunity um, by taking loans or. Uh, doing their own kind of like businesses. I mean, obviously, as we established that maybe it's not written, maybe there wasn't enough information, but they obviously did some type of trading. Um, I think that it it was a very strong attempt at building this social utopia that that they thought about. And it looked very, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say successful, but it looked like it was working for them and and the type of society that they were trying to uphold. So I don't know about it being fully, fully successful or not, but definitely was something that to to pay attention to and to to think about. Well, yes, this is this is history. It's it's not something we cannot talk about. It all of these things happen. It's very well documented, and that is exactly why the Civilizations One Hundred and One Review section exists. Is to talk about all of these different communities that existed throughout the modern Southwest Asia, North Africa, Swana. You may know it as the Middle East area is to talk about these empires, these civilizations, these dynasties happened here. Here's how they interacted. So with all that said, thank you, Elaine, for your deftness in researching and conversation. It's uh, This is a bit more difficult than all the rest of our empires yeah. for several additional reasons, but I really appreciate um, you taking the time to do this research and chat so beautifully. And Anna, as always, fabulous insights and, and really um, productive additions to this specific conversation is, is a, a tougher one than most. Um, thank you to our audience for listening. There are more links that we did not get to in Elaine's article, and please feel free to feel free to read even more about the Karmatians and their legacy for for worse. <laughs> um, we'll stop here, but I appreciate all of you for your engagement. I appreciate both of you, Elaine and Anna, for your um, conversation today. And we have only three more final empires left. So if you would like to join the Alphazaic community and help us finish our Civilizations 101 section, we would appreciate it. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Bye. Thanks, Elaine. Bye. Thank you.